Broadcasting from Manhattan Beach and the World Wide Web, you're listening to CHSRHealthyLife.net. As a service to our listeners, this program is for general information and entertainment purposes only. CHSRHealthyLife.net does not recommend, endorse, or object to the views, products, or topics expressed or discussed by show hosts or their guests. We suggest you always consult with your own personal, medical, financial, or legal advisor. Welcome to Marianne Live. So glad you're here. I actually mean that. I was thinking about that this morning. Sometime after reading my uh, guest book today, uh, Ruth Whitman, who's going to be joining us, America the Anxious. I was feeling anxious about being American and sort of really <laughs> falling all over my Americanness, like 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 saying like and saying, oh, I'm so glad you're here. I'm like, am I really glad to hear? Yep, I am. Super glad you're here, and super is such an American thing to say. But you know, the truth is, uh, I am American, even though a lot of our listeners are from all over the world. Uh, today we're going to talk about why we're so anxious and why we're always trying to be happy. And before we get to that, though, this is what I like to do on this program. And after ten years, it seems like a good way to start. And that's to just get here and find your breath. I find this is a very authentic and sincere attempt for us to slow down, get present, so we can receive the presence that our guest has to offer us. It's real simple, not always easy to do, but I find just noticing where your breath is helps the nervous system just relax a little bit, and your brain can actually do what it's designed to do, process the information that's going to come forward. We want it to go from that short-term to long-term memory, so we want to give it the opportunity it deserves to do that. So whatever you hear today, whatever gets stimulated, anything that's useful, we want it to make it into your being in some way so you can access it later so it doesn't become part of that flash in the pan kind of thing that we're all so used to. We want to give you something you can hang on to because we love, and I mean that too, we actually love helping you attract and create healthy, fulfilling, sustainable relationships because that's what we're all about here. And so part of how we do that is having a practice. So while you're breathing in and out, I would invite you next to do an equally uh, simple, but this one might be a little more challenging, finding a portal of gratitude Cultivating um, that perspective of gratitude is genuinely a pretty decent way to shift our perspective. And we, we do have a choice about that sometimes. But, boy, it feels like when we've got so much on our plate all day long, every day, choosing to be grateful is temporary and it's fleeting. But, boy, when it comes, it really does help. So go ahead and ask yourself a question. Who helped Make it possible for me to do what I'm doing right now. 
Yeah, there's probably one person, maybe ten. There's hundreds and thousands of folks who help me do what I do every day, including the food that I have in my belly and the electronic devices that I use, that we all use. Just taking a moment to get grateful for that. Again, the uh, obvious shift will be apparent when we get there, if we can get there. Good goal to have, breathing with intention, presence, and some gratitude. I'm going to go down my list of folks who help make this program possible, including the One World Children's Fund.org, if you're online, uniting people to improve the lives of children affected by poverty. That's at the global level. At the national level, the National Action Organization, committed to changing the way our culture values each other, NACTION.org. They make this program possible, and 100% of the proceeds goes to programming just like this. And at the local level, the Open Secret Bookstore in San Rafael, California, they've got the latest in uh, meditation and revelation, they like to say. It's a wonderful place to hang out if you're uh, interested in finding something new like uh, Ruth's book, America the Anxious, to help you navigate your journey. Uh, In this case today, we're going to be talking with Ruth about that pursuit of happiness, right? It is the American decree, the American right. dream, and we're so glad to have Ruth with us today. Let me tell you a little bit about her. I can hear her in the background. I know you can, too, but hang tight, Ruth, for just a second so folks know that you are a British writer, <coughs> excuse me, journalist and documentary maker, living now in the United States, and your essays and comment pieces have appeared in the various publications, including the New York Times, the Independent, the Guardian, and the HuffPo, and you graduated from Cambridge University. Wow. <laughs> A long time ago. Yeah. Well, you know, somebody had to do that, right? And now living in California, where she's the proud mom of two little boys, and she's joining us today to talk about her new book, America the Anxious, How Our Pursuit of Happiness is Creating a Nation of Nervous Wrecks. I think we can all relate to that, bringing our hands. We're so glad you're here, Ruth. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Before we went on the air, Ruth was telling me that she's got her two boys nearby and uh, that she had to sneak out into the car to do this interview, and it made me just giggle with delight. How many of us are juggling about 50 bazillion things, but, you know, we're going to tune in because we want to make our lives better. And where are the boys right now? Are they alone in the house with matches and plastic bags? Or what's happening? <laughs> I gave them some weapons to tell them to get on with it. No, they're with my husband. Oh, nice. That's cute. So, yeah. well, you know what? This book was inspired by your journey from the U.K. to America. Tell us a little bit about that, why you ended up here and why this book and why now. Well, we'd lived in London all our lives, um, my husband and I, and he got offered a job out in Silicon Valley. He works in tech, so this is kind of the place to come. And we just decided that, you know, kind of on a whim, we were going to just move out here, make a new life here, and see what happened. And I had had a very busy job before. I quit my job and just moved to California. It was completely in the dark. We had a one-year-old baby at the time. And... 
you know, I was, to start with, I was pretty lonely. I'd had this view in my mind that California was going to be this golden place of complete happiness and joy and laughter and everything was going to be amazing and it was going to be kind of like Hollywood and Disneyland with maybe a bit of kind of spiritual thing mixed in. Wow. And when I got here, I realized that, you know, not only is, you know, your day-to-day life pretty similar to anywhere else you are, but because I didn't know anybody, I was pretty lonely. Mm. So... I was trying to get to know people. I was, you know, having lots of random conversations with people, other moms, people in the grocery store and the dry cleaners. And I found that this same topic kept on coming up over and over again. And this was some variation on the theme of happiness. So whether that was people almost agonizing about their own happiness, you know, am I happy? Am I happy enough? Am I as happy as all my friends? You know, everyone I see on social media seems happier than me, you know, kind of really wrestling with those big questions. Or whether that was people almost evangelizing about the different things that they were doing to make themselves happier. So whether that was yoga or meditation or some kind of self-help book or, you know, it seems like they were really putting in a lot of work to become happier. So I, it, it kind of sparked my interest, and I'm a journalist by training, so I started looking into it, and I found that, you know, I was thinking, given how much time and money and thought people are putting into becoming happier in America, they should, by rights, be the happiest people on the planet. But the research really shows kind of almost the exact opposite. The people in this country really fall quite far down on the lists of happy countries, and Americans are, by a very wide margin, the most anxious people in the world. Mm. Mm. You know, and that just kind of made me want to get to the bottom of that paradox. You know, what's going wrong? Why are people in this country so anxious? You know, and what can we all do to live happier lives? And that was really the sort of starting point for Got my it. journey at writing the book. Well, when I was reading the book, it's funny because I was thinking, I wonder if Americans have a different criteria for happiness versus folks in other countries. Um, what do we think about that? So there's some really interesting research uh, done on exactly that topic. There's some academics at UC Berkeley, and they did surveys of people all around the world, different types of cultures, you know, in East Asia, in Russia, in the United States, in Europe, and they tried to sort of work out what people understood by the word happiness, mm-hmm. you know, what, how did you define it? And they found that in the United States, people define happiness in a very individualistic way. So it's all about me. It's my personal journey. I look within myself. I try and find happiness. It's almost kind of like a quest, a personal quest. Whereas in other parts of the world, people tend to define happiness as a more collective thing. So more something socially orientated that you pursue through being with your friends, your family, through other people. And I think that really gets to the heart of some of the problems with the way that in which Americans are pursuing happiness. When I found that out, it started to answer quite a lot of my questions. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, looking back at the cultural trajectory, the United States is, in fact, the newest country that is formed on the planet, right? So we're... Right. Yeah, yeah, we're sort of... It's interesting. I mean, new in the sense that, you know, it's leaving an old paradigm... But the individualism that's come of it came from a necessary sort of move from, on the other extreme, feeling no sense of self, no sense of individual freedom. You know, a lot of good has come from it, but but what we're pulling here is 
On the other hand, the extreme of it is this kind of isolation, these unrealistic ideas about being happy, and so forth. So, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, America's not the, the, the newest country on the planet, but it is um, a relatively new compared to many other nations. And as you're saying, it was started off with big ideals and this idea of freedom and individual endeavor. And those are all very valuable and important things. And as you say, they, um, they've brought this country many, many great benefits. Um, but at the same time, you know, as with everything, it, it's got its own problems. And I think this sort of very rampant individualism is part of the problem when it comes to happiness. Because, you know, you talk about the American dream and striving and working harder for our ideals. And that, you know, can work very well on an economic level. But emotions don't always work like economies. You know, just by working harder at something, you don't necessarily, you know, on your emotions, you know, by working harder at being happier, it doesn't really always lead to, to happiness. It can actually backfire. Right. So one of the things, and you're right, you're absolutely right. I don't know what I was thinking. America is not the newest country on the planet. <laughs> but it sounded really good when I was saying. <laughs> it seemed true in that moment. Well, it, it, you know what I thought about what I was saying? <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, I'm not a history buff, obviously, but, but everybody knows that. But in, in any event, you <laughs> Well but the principle's right. I mean, it's absolutely right. It's very, it's young in terms of It is young, and thanks for that little check there. I appreciate that. So here you are. You're in the United States, in California, and basically I'm, I'm thinking you're not happy. <laughs> so you, right. so you're well, like, what the heck? Yeah. Well, this is going back a bit. I mean, so now I would say that I am happy. Yes. Um, but at the beginning, I really wasn't. You know, something yeah. I'd gone from having this very busy job, lots of friends, all my family. And, uh, you know, and then here I am. I'm suddenly a stay-at-home mom. I hadn't done that before. I have these, like, 12 hours to fill every day. You know, my husband would shut the door in the morning, and then the silence would echo around. And, you know, I had, I had my son with me, but he didn't speak. He knew, you know five words and four of those were you know names mm -hmm. for different types of digger mm -hmm. and you know so I, I was I was lonely and I suddenly realized just how important all those other people had been in my life yeah. you know yeah. whereas before I hadn't so you know but I had this kind of project that I was interested in this whole idea of happiness and what it meant and I started you know really digging around and trying to trying to get to grips with it and to try out some of the things that all these Americans were doing as well <laughs> I love the things that you've tried. By the way, if you're just joining us, we're with Ruth Whitman. She's an author and a journalist. She's written a book for us, America the Anxious, How Our Pursuit of Happiness is Creating a Nation of Nervous Wrecks. So, Ruth, you, you came across the uh, personal development industry, as we used to call it. Uh, yes. Self-help. It used to be a $6 billion industry in the 90s. It's now, what, $19 billion industry? Something I mean, it depends how you measure it. I think the very straight um, self-help industry, the kind of books and uh, courses, is about $11 billion, which, to put it in context, is about the same size as Hollywood. So, you know, I always say the other great purveyors of that happy ever after message. Right. And then there's a newer sort of more quasi-spiritual things like mindfulness, meditation, yoga. I mean, that's probably about 20 billion altogether right. with that as well. So when in Rome, here you are, you're in California, and I'm going to start watching the Hallmark Channel, I'm going to go to Disneyland, <laughs> and I'm going to take every personal development course there is. And essentially on some level, that's sort of what you did, uh, tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. Tell us where, yeah, I mean, where I, you started and why. 
Well, one of the first ones I started with was called the Landmark Forum. Um, it's, you know, my question this was I didn't want to go to, like, the weirdest thing, the most fringe, um, oddball thing, you know, because there's plenty of that in California. You can find a lot of... The weirdest, things. by the way. The weirdest <laughs> thing. <laughs> and I thought, you know what, that's not really going to tell me anything about how most people live. But the Landmark Forum stood out to me because um, over a million Americans have done this program, and very mainstream companies send their um, employees on it. Um, you know, big corporate American giants um, set, put their employees through this program, and people talked about it. A lot of people were recommending it to me, saying, you know, this has transformed my life. It's made me completely blissful. I was a, I'm a completely different person after doing wow. this course. So it kind of piqued my interest. I thought, okay. You know, and I wasn't particularly happy. Wonder what you were like before. I would have wondered. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and funnily enough, you know, I actually this was really before I had the idea to write the book. I was just kind of interested in this because I kept hearing about it. I thought, okay, mm -hmm. I'm going to try. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try this thing, and it's a very, very intense program. It's um, three days. So the main program is three days long. It's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then you come back on Tuesday night. And you sit in a chair in a conference room with the doors shut for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And you get exhausted and you get discombobulated and you have breaks, but they're limited. And, you know, you don't have a lunch break until 5.30 or so in the afternoon. You know, it's a, it's a tough program. And you, uh, the idea is that you're supposed to kind of completely remake your personality from there inside out. Mm. And people tell their most heart-wrenching stories. There's about 100 people in the group. People get up, they tell stories of abuse, of broken marriages, of racism, of... I mean, every terrible story you can possibly imagine, people come and share with the group. And the idea is that the leader kind of coaches you and tries to get you to accept that you, all your problems are your own responsibility. Mm. They don't use the word fault, but there was a sort of streak of that to my mind in the tone of it, for sure. And it's very... The tone of it is very aggressive, she sort of yells at people, and she's up there telling them, you know, uh, this, and you've got to take responsibility, and you're not agreeing, and you're, you know, this is you, and da da da, and and it's it's an extreme experience. Mm. Like boot camp. Right, emotional <laughs> boot camp. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, at the end of it, um, yeah. did you feel beat up a little bit there, or did you feel I transformed? About. Absolutely destroyed. <laughs> I mean, by the end of it, I was, I felt sick, I felt anxious, I felt mm. nervous, I felt completely out of my own skin. I, I don't even really know how to describe it. It was mm. just the oddest experience. I felt like completely unable to cope with mm -hmm. the normal realities of my life. And I think the idea is that they then kind of build you back up and you're, you know, remade in a new form. And that second bit didn't quite happen for me. Yeah. You know, obviously I got through it, but... I really felt very vulnerable after taking it. Um, in your research, because um, I know you did this on the challenge day, you, you did some yeah. research after that experience. Uh, folks who went to the forum, uh, is it long-lasting? Does, does it stick? Does it actually work? Or, or, or are people just re-traumatized and get the sort of the buzz, you know, that, that <gasps> little buzz going? I mean, I think a lot of people um, say they found it very transformative. I mean, th there's this whole idea that once you've gone on the course, you're supposed to sell it to all your friends and family. Mm -hmm. And it's quite expensive. And you're supposed to recruit as many people as you can to go to, you know, another, um, another course. And then you're supposed to go on an advanced course and a 
another advanced course. You know, they have lots and lots and lots of courses. And so, and there are people who come out of this experience completely evangelical about it and go around trying to bring all their friends in. And as part of the course, while you're there, many of the things that you're supposed to do, many of the exercises you're supposed to do involve telling your friends and family to come and come to it as well and Mm -hmm. to take it as well. Mm -hmm. So there's a kind of proselytizing element to it. And so I think people did find it transformative. I mean, I was there on the final day of the course and people were laughing and crying and it was like a kind of tent revival feel to it. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting there thinking, have I just been at the same thing as everybody else? (laughs) Have we all been in the same, been through the same experience? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think people do find it transformative and, and that's a very, I don't know how long it lasts. You know, that's a, that's a different question. I think it probably depends a lot on the person. And like you said, it could be a cultural thing, which is something you do continue to explore throughout the book, uh, right. which is fascinating and wonderful. And, you know, who doesn't want to be happy? I mean, are you happy enough? Are you, you're joining us right now. We're talking with Ruth Whitman, her book, America the Anxious. She's asking big questions. What is the American criteria for happiness these days. Uh, are we happy enough? Uh, <laughs> is happiness really a choice? Is, is it your responsibility? Well, answers to these questions are explored in Ruth's book. When we get back, we're going to talk more about uh, happiness as an exploitation, perhaps. Uh, and on and on we go. Uh, getting happy here on Marian Live or not. Whatever is real is what we're going to aim for here when we get back right after these messages. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. I don't want to date anymore. What? Did you break up again? You said he's perfect. Well, I don't blame you. My last date lasted two minutes at a speed dating event. Are you still looking for the one? There are millions of singles looking for soulmates. Actually, drama-free love. Worry no more. Nine international relationship experts collaborated to bring you secrets to drama-free love. Proven solutions that singles use to help them find, catch, and keep the right relationship. Get your copy of Secrets to Drama-Free Love at Amazon.com now. We've ordered ordered No No More More Love Love Life Life Drama drama for us. Us. Hi, everybody. I'm relationship expert and radio talk show host Marianne Camarado. And I'm David Raynaud. We want to talk to you for a minute about the changing world of dating and relationships and how self-inquiry can help. Honey, did you know that 44% of the U.S. population is single and over 50% end in divorce yet? We spend an average of one-third of our lives trying to find a great relationship or get help with the ones we already have. Yep, that's exactly why we created the first ever of its kind, the Great Relationships Begin Within Self-Inquiry Divination Deck, because we know what it takes to attract and create a healthy, fulfilling, sustainable relationship. And it's really simple. Sit quietly, close your eyes, turn your attention inward, and draw a card. You can go online right now and get a free reading on Marianne Live and try out the cards. And for under $20, what better way to give yourself a gift of your own attention? We wish you every blessing. We'll see you next time. Check out MarianneLive.com. 
Okay, so you have a couple of days off and you're planning to get away from stress. You may be planning to go across the world or even taking a staycation around town. Well, Hotels.com can get you a room in over 158,000 hotels, 60 countries for 50% off. That's reducing stress already. Plus, collect 10 nights and you'll get one night free. And there's no cancellation charges, no change fees. For the best deals, even last-minute deals, visit HealthyLife.net's advertiser page and click on Hotels.com. Music, information, and friends. HealthyLife.net. Are you happy? Are you happy you're here right now? Are you happy enough? Are you as happy as everyone else? Could you be happier if you tried harder? Oh, aren't these great questions? They make you feel so good. <laughs> Actually, our guest today, author Ruth Whitman, says no. The more we focus on our being happy, actually, it, it makes it worse. We, we start to realize that we maybe aren't so happy. But that's okay. We're, we're unpacking that all right here on Marian Live. America the Anxious is the title of Ruth's book. Before the break, we were talking about what brought Ruth to the United States and set her on her quest to find out this happy story that we're all obsessed with here in the United States. Might uh, There might be something wrong. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you ventured out on your journey in these um, personal development arenas. You came across some uh, some other um, companies, and sort of at the end of them all, this, my sense was is that you felt uh, disenchanted and like something you know, yeah something is wrong here, essentially wrong. Talk about sort of your overall feeling at the end of the journey, uh, challenge day, and and uh, you yeah. know all of and, and the like. Well, there is, as we know, this huge multi-billion dollar industry in the United States, which is devoted to selling this idea that we can become happier, that our happiness is under our own control, and we just try a bit harder, do another exercise, do another course, read another self-help book, you know, take another yoga class, then finally we will become happier. And I think there are lots of problems with this industry. And this is not to say that there are not helpful things within this. There are. There are things that people and that I myself have found helpful on an individual level. But the whole tone of this industry, I think, can end up being quite exploitative. It takes vulnerable people generally, people who aren't necessarily that happy, and sells them this message that it's somehow their own responsibility or even their own fault that they're not happy. This whole idea happiness is a choice. You know, you just try harder, just try harder. But I think that really breaks down our basic feeling of empathy for the reasons why somebody might be not happy. I mean, you you get this kind of almost victim-blaming tone in the industry where it's like someone says, oh, you know, my husband's cheating on me, my, um, you know, my partner's abusive, people, you know, I'm a victim of racism or sexism or whatever. And they, the answer is, well, you know, just try harder. You know, just try harder to make yourself happier. And it's really not engaging with the actual reasons why people are unhappy. It's unempathetic and it kind of goes against this idea of social justice or really, you know, trying to make the world better if we put it all on the individual. Yeah. And one of the other problems, you know, we talked about the individualism of it all. I mean, this idea, this industry really promotes the idea that happiness is a very personal quest it's an individual quest essentially something you do on your own you know if you're reading a self-help book you're doing it on your own if you're 
doing a yoga class or a meditation seminar, you know, you might not be technically on your own, but the basic idea is that it's a kind of private emotional experience. Mm-hmm. But the thing about that is what we actually know about happiness and what I found when I was researching for my book, the evidence and common sense, but, you know, the overwhelming evidence shows that the single most important factor in our happiness is other people. It's relationships with other people. So this very individualistic pursuit where we kind of do it as a solitary, on our own activity, you know, really goes against this idea that actually happiness is about other people, not ourselves. Mm-hmm. Well, let's launch from there because this is a great point, and I think that there's a lot of research now um, pointing in this direction. As we were talking about during the break, you've got your finger on the pulse of something here. People are looking around saying, oh, we are relational creatures. Right. We are wired to be connected. Our survival depends on it, et cetera, et cetera. So, however, if we look to the work world, our work ethic here, you write, you write a chapter on this, um, yeah. which is a cultural climate. Uh, people don't seem to be any happier there, you say. Interesting. Talk about this. Well, so I wrote a chapter all about uh, the workplace, and there's this trend um, recently in the kind of corporate workplace in America, and, you know, I think it came from Silicon Valley, perhaps, and, you know, spread through companies all, all across, which is this idea that we're kind of trying to make our employees happy. You know, there's happiness training at work. There's mindfulness training at work. There are, you know, positive psychology seminars that your company will send you on, you know, positive thinking, that sort of thing all within the American workplace. But yet, at the same time, the real material conditions of the workplace are getting worse and worse and worse. So we go on happiness training, but yet our health insurance is gone, our benefits are gone, our job security is gone. And there's something about all this talk about positivity and being positive at work and being happy that really blurs those lines. It kind of almost encourages people not to speak out about those genuine conditions of the workplace mm-hmm. and you know to feel pressured into being happy and at the same time american workers especially white collar workers office workers work longer hours than almost anybody in the world mm-hmm. you know we work painfully long hours and now there's this idea that you don't just have to um you know show up for work do your job well and, and go home it's this whole idea that you may have heard of called work-life integration mm-hmm. where you know, your social life gets integrated into your work, that, you know, you have to socialize with your colleagues after work, that, you know, you always have your, your phone with your email and whatever when after you go home, but you never quite switch off. And, you know, I think this whole obsession that employers have recently with our well-being and well-being programs in the workplace actually leave very little time for the genuine things that we really need for our well-being, mm-hmm. which is time off, mm-hmm. you know, vacation time. Time to go home and be with your family and friends. Yeah, and you're saying a couple of things here. Artificial, disingenuous, imposed, right? These right, are things right. that somehow we haven't quite caught on to. That yeah. you can't force people into the connection they need. Uh, you, right. Yeah, well, you, you can create a climate that maybe fosters that, but this sounds a little bit like a catalyzing kind of um, scenario. doesn't seem to be yeah. working. Well, in the book, I go to um, a, a company called Zappos, which is an online shoe store. They were bought out by Amazon um, not too long ago, and they are obsessed with this happiness culture. So they have the whole workplaces. You know, there's balloon animals, and there are parades, and there are, um, 
you know, uh, parties and people are heavily pressured to socialize with their colleagues outside of work, almost to the point where um, there's a, a threat, a not too um, veiled threat, that if they don't do all this, that they're likely to be fired. Mm. And so, you know, and to me, as a kind of slightly awkward British person, the idea of having parades and balloon animals and all of that at work just sounds cringeworthy anyway. But the idea that I don't get to pick my friends, that my boss is somehow managing my social life, mm -hmm. you know, that that's somehow an expectation of my job, that I have to be going out with colleagues and, you know, and getting drunk and doing all this. I mean, I'm not at a time in my life when I want to be doing that. I have my kids at home. I want to come home and, and spend time with my genuine Yeah, and in the other bit in there that we need to say out loud is, is this really for the people or is it for the right. bottom line? I mean, you know, right. I think when we really look at it, they think, you know, we imagine that they, if they've got a, a happy climate, they will make more money. And yeah. so the intention can't be overlooked here, and I think that's pieces that we all want to point out here, that when this is not sincere or genuine, we know it. We're smarter than we look. Okay, when we get back after the break, America the anxious, uh, we're anxious for a reason, people. We're going to find out when we get back. People just can't keep lying to us like this. Okay. Don't touch that dial. More with Ruth Whitman when we, when we return. Back in just a minute. I don't want to date anymore. What? Did you break up again? You said he's perfect. Well, I don't blame you. My last date lasted two minutes at a speed dating event. Are you still looking for the one? There are millions of singles looking for soulmates. Actually, drama-free love. Worry no more. Nine international relationship experts collaborated to bring you secrets to drama-free love. Proven solutions that singles use to help them find, catch, and keep the right relationship. Get your copy of Secrets to Drama-Free Love at Amazon.com now. We've, We've ordered, ordered No More, more love, love Life Drama, drama for, for Us. Shh, over here. Here's a secret for a virus-free computer. ESET. They've been a pioneer in the antivirus industry for over 25 years. 25 years of innovative, top-rated antivirus protection. ESET's award-winning security solutions provide a safe online experience for over 100 million home and business computer owners. They are so affordable, fast, and simple to use. So be gone, you blue screen of death. ESET's on my computer. If it's not on yours, visit HealthyLife.net's advertiser page and click on ESET now. Did you know that in seven minutes you might save $522 in car insurance? Well, this makes sense. Since 21st Century Insurance's company's website has been rated number one in responsiveness by Keynote. Serving customers since 1958, 21st Century Insurance has a 24-7 online policy and claim service. You can get a quote fast and easy, so get your quote by visiting HealthyLife.net's advertiser page and click right on the 21st Century Insurance banner. More exhilarating talk. HealthyLife.net. All right, everybody. Ruth and I have figured this thing out, okay? <laughs> there, 
We are on it, and she's written a whole book about it, and I'm just jumping on her train here. America the Anxious, we've got a bazillion reasons to be anxious, and if you're unhappy, it's probably for a good reason, okay? So just hang on to that right now, and know that the answer is available. It's coming. We're going to end the, note, the story on a good note. We're going to do the happily ever after piece, but first we, we just have to dig down a little bit deeper here because so many of us are wandering around feeling like, what is wrong with me? Why am I not happy? You know, my job is supposed to make me happy. This fake culture is supposed to make me happy. That last workshop is supposed to make me happy. There's new clothes, the house, the car, the kids, and it's not. What about God? Okay, we have to talk about that. What about the folks who, you wrote a chapter on this. God, God is supposed to make us happy. Tell us about right. this. So there's this really interesting phenomenon that I came across when I was writing the book, which is that religious people pretty consistently always rate as happier than non-religious people. So, you know, and the more religious people are generally, the happier they are. And I was really keen to understand what that was about. You know, mm-hmm. was it the God part? Was it something else? You know, and I'm um, Jewish by culture, but I'm not religious, and we live a pretty secular life. So I wanted to go and spend some time with a very religious family and find out what it was. Mm -hmm. So I spent some time in Utah with a Mormon family. Now, Mormons, so religious people are happier than non-religious people. And out of all the religions, Mormons are the happiest of all, apparently, statistically speaking. Mm -hmm. So I went to Utah and I spent some time with this family. And on the face of it, they look like the happiest people on earth. I mean, Mm -hmm. their Christmas card is like a kind of full brochure of... You know, they have many children, they're all kind of blonde and gleaming, and everybody looks happy, and they have, um, you know, they're very wholesome, they don't drink, they don't smoke, they don't even drink coffee or tea. You know, it's a very strict culture. The gender roles are very, very strict, so Mm -hmm. it's um, women stay home and look after the kids, men go out to work generally. I mean, not for everybody, but that's Mm -hmm. that's the culture. The expectations are very strong. They go to church. They do lots and lots of volunteering for the church. And, you know, as a kind of liberal feminist, I found especially the gender roles piece of it quite intriguing and difficult. I was like, you know, are are we doing it all wrong, you know? Mm -hmm. And so when I was there, it was interesting because on the one hand of it, this picture of Mormons being extremely happy was really came across as true. I mean, they have a wonderful community there. You know, they're... We, I'd sit in the living room and every half hour or so somebody would knock on the door and bring around some cookies or come around to chat or bring a pie or, you know, come to t- tell them about something or other that was going on in the community. And I was thinking, you know, when was the last time that anybody knocked on my door that wasn't trying to sell something? I can't even think, you know, mm-hmm. when that would have been. But um, there's a kind of darker side to all this as well because... The uh, Mormon community, as well as rating as very, very happy, also has the highest rate of antidepressant use in the U.S. <laughs> there it so is. There's something else to unpack. You know, is it medicated? People happier? Is it that? You know, is it that it's a community that's very strict and so it works very well for yeah. some people, but very badly for others? You yeah. know, so that was all stuff that I tried to unpack while uh, while I was writing it. Brilliant. Well, you know, what we're getting a sense of here is this is a very complex subject it's not one thing but the one thing you're pointing us towards is so important and we're going to be moving towards naming that towards the end of the program which is what are we so unhappy about we're picking up clues there and what can we do about it really the things that you're naming are the the 
maybe distortions of what we're longing for, right? And oftentimes right. we're reaching for something, and until we can name it or point to it, um, we're not going to get there. So this is so useful and helpful and validating for so many of our listeners out there. This program goes out all over the world, and, and the Western culture has affected so much of the rest of the planet uh, at this time uh, that, you know, this doesn't just apply to Americans. I, I know there's probably a lot of other folks going, oh, yeah, as soon as I, I call it the soon as I, then I'll be story, right? As soon as I get this, then yeah. I'll be happy, right? Fill in the yeah. blanks. But so, yeah. okay, so now we've exhausted, we're, we're not exhausted, but we've touched on religion, work, we've talked about the, the personal journey, uh, and so forth. But this one chapter that you're going to talk about next is just my favorite. I underlined something in here the first day I got the book, and I went back and looked at it, and my own underlining scared me. But based, essentially, it's Chapter 7. I'm not a happy person. I'm just playing one on Facebook. I about <laughs> fell out of my chair laughing my head off. And, and of course, nobody wants to, like, this is one of those things that nobody wants to admit. You know, nobody wants to talk about this, and you did so with such, I, it was. I was delighted by this chapter. Talk oh, about thank this for you. Us. And and that you called yourself out on it as well. You know, the, oh, the very yeah. thing we're all doing. You're you're victim of yourself. So. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, what's so funny is so Facebook and Instagram, more for for younger people often as well, is that we have developed this like tone that we use on Facebook, and this we've almost formed this agreement that everything that we put on there, if it's not kind of political, is trying to make our own lives look as blissfully happy as we possibly can and in this completely unrealistic way. So, you know, and I absolutely do this myself. You know, I we had this thing recently where we went, uh, it was fall, and we went um, apple picking in an orchard. This is an example. And I had my kids with me. And frankly, it was kind of an awful day. I mean, my kids were whining. It was really hot. It was like there were no bathrooms there. It was incredibly inconvenient. There were flies everywhere. And yet, the picture I put on Facebook was of the probably one millisecond in the entire day where my kids were both smiling, my husband was smiling, reaching out for an apple, this blissful thing. And there it goes on Facebook. And probably everybody looking at that will think, oh, you know, they're having this wonderful, perfect yes. day and probably feeling slightly insecure yeah. that their own lives are not like that. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, have, I have the same thing. And I look at other people's kind of, they're like curated highlights. And I looked at, you know, I had it recently, you know, a friend of mine uh, and I were both on vacation at the same time. And I would look at their Facebook photos in real time while we were on our vacation. I'm thinking, is our vacation as fun as their vacation? <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, well, they took their kids on a hike. My kids would never go on a hike. Exactly. They just wanted it, you know. I and, love that you... And, you know, I'm sure she was looking at, at mine in the same way. Indeed. And I love that you write here, Facebook is a parallel universe in which everyone <laughs> is either stratospherically successful in their career, married to the best guy ever, enjoying right. every moment of motherhood, or in a state of single childlessness for which the only descriptive adjective permitted by the social media authorities is fabulous. I love that. Right. This is absolutely brilliant. And 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 more so because I have to tell you, um, having worked with people since I'm 18 years old and in, in the capacity of helping people um, you know, find their authentic selves and, and to thrive, right. Um, people are suffering from this one uh, 
device, a way to stay connected, which, by the way, let's go back to intention, because the guy who created Facebook, by the way, this came from vengeance. Facebook (laughs) was created because someone broke up with him out of vengeance. And I'm telling you, there is an air of vengeance here. Look at my life. It's better than yours. Yes. I mean, and I am so glad that Facebook didn't exist when I was a teenager. Thank you. God. Because, you know, I was bad enough as it was. You know, we've all had that impulse when someone breaks up with us and it's like, look how great I'm doing. Look how happy I am. And, you know, but then with social media, you can turn that into a monstrous. No. It is absolutely true. And, you know, the one thing that we all um, are going to have to deal with is who we want to appear to be is not quite the same as who we actually are. That's a line out of Ruth Whitman's book, America the Anxious More, when we return on Mary and I. We're going to wrap it up. We're going to get to Happily Ever After together. But we're going to do it together, not as an individualistic mm-hmm. uh, hangover together here on Mary and I. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. I don't want to date anymore. What? Did you break up again? You said he's perfect. Well, I don't blame you. My last date lasted two minutes at a speed dating event. Are you still looking for the one? There are millions of singles looking for soulmates. Actually, drama-free love. Worry no more. Nine international relationship experts collaborated to bring you secrets to drama-free love. Proven solutions that singles use to help them find, catch, and keep the right relationship. Get your copy of Secrets to Drama-Free Love at Amazon.com now. We've We've ordered ordered No More more Love Love Life Life Drama drama for us. MarianneLive.com is where you can go to keep up to date with what and where relationship expert, author, and radio host Marianne Camerata is appearing next. Besides Marianne's three radio shows weekdays on HealthyLife.net, you can find out details about upcoming or ongoing seminars and workshops. How about information for ordering copies of books or DVDs? That's also available at MarianneLive.com. Find out about core certification, certificate of responsible relationships, www.marianlive.com core certification learning tools to attract build and sustain great relationships also sign up for marianne's newsletter to be informed about upcoming events and possible workshops or speaking engagements in the northern california area www.marianlive.com what does HealthyLife.net and Amazon.com have in common? Well, they're both available on the Internet. They both give great value. But most important, most of our positive program hosts and guests are accomplished authors. And their books are available from, you got it, Amazon.com. Now it even gets better than that. Because when you're listening on air to a HealthyLife.net host or guest, you can go directly to Amazon.com and you can order your book while you're still listening to your favorite HealthyLife.net program. So when you hear an author you like, go to the homepage of HealthyLife.net and click on Amazon.com. HealthyLife.net, the positive radio network. Okay, everybody, we know that you are poised and ready and you're waiting for your happily ever after. (laughs) You're almost there. Ruth, let's talk about after this whole journey, you know, where where did you find yourself? What was the biggest surprise of all for you? 
Uh, I think that the most consistent thing was that just how much our happiness depends on other people. And so that's, you know, at the personal level, so, you know, me, my friends, my family, you know, just spending more time. I mean, there was one statistic that really shocked me, which was that the average American spends less than four minutes a day hosting and attending social events. I mean, four minutes a day across the year, that barely gets you through Thanksgiving dinner and, and a barbecue at um, Fourth of July. So just purely in terms of, like, making this a priority in our lives, and I know for myself, you know, I, at the end of the day, you got to the kids, the housework, the chores, the work, and then you just slump in front of the TV and barely even speak to your own, well, barely even speak to my own husband apart mm. from, you know, past the remote control. Mm. So that was one thing that I took away was just to invest, literally invest more time mm. in other people and, and socializing and being with other people. Mm. And on a kind of wider political level, I think we live in this kind of neoliberal bubble where it's this idea that it's all about the self, it's all about me, my individual quest, my happiness has nothing to do with anyone else. And I think we're increasingly realizing that that just doesn't work. You can't say happiness is a choice. You know, we have to engage with everybody else's problems and really try and work at the causes of those problems to be more politically active, to try and, you know, change the world for the better rather than just blaming people for their own unhappiness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so those are good takeaways. We don't want to continue to blame uh, Thomas Jefferson or Walt Disney, for that matter, for <laughs> selling us this idea. But, you know, you actually do talk about the the concept of the pursuit of happiness in your last chapter, and yeah. and, and it really does support that, you know, you say that the idea that entire an entire nation can be founded on the principle that each person has the explicit right to a short uh, or sorry, a shot at personal fulfillment is is endlessly compelling. But that what Jefferson was saying, he wasn't talking about self discovery, you say, or the inner journey. Uh, they were talking about community and civic responsibility. And you're saying yes. making an investment into that part of our lives is critical. Yet here we are, so many of us, and the younger generations even more so, inept at connecting. And I'm going to throw my son under the bus here and he doesn't listen to my show so it's okay our youngest we had a, a, a dinner party not so long ago and my our youngest um came to me and he was feeling anxious about the kind of conversation that he was going to be forced into we call it cocktail chit chat and he felt he felt stressed out about it he didn't know how to do it and i almost didn't know what to say to him so my point is that, you know, the ways that we have unlearned how to relate are critical yes. to invest our time in. What do you want to say about that? What's your advice to us? I think that's a really important point because, I mean, we are losing those kinds of social skills. I think technology has played a huge part. I think that, you know, the long working hours, the little time that we spend together has, made, has meant that, as you say, you know, we're kind of losing some of those basic skills of just how to be together without any other distraction, how to get along, how to have a conversation. And those are things which are critically important to the human species, you know, that for our own well-being, for everybody. And so those are things that we should be working on, absolutely. And so things like discipline, devotion, longer workshops that last more than a weekend, ongoing groups, volunteering, actually caring about your neighbors, joining the book club, all of these things we need to make time for. And you say, you know, we need to think about well-being as a shared responsibility rather than an individual quest. Yes. 
All Absolutely. Right. Well, we're coming up to the top of the hour here. Uh, we we want to we want to let folks know where to find you, what you're doing next, and uh, you know what you want to leave us with. Well, you can find me at my website, which is www.ruthwhitman.com. My name is not my last name is not with two p's, so w h i p p m a n. And um, you can see where to to get hold of copies of the book, and you know they can be bought in any bookstore on Amazon. And, you know, I'm working on a new book proposal for a second book. I can't talk about it yet, but maybe uh, when we're further down the line, we can talk about that one, too. It'd be great. And I write for lots of different um, places as well. I write for the New York Times, the Guardian, the Huffington Post, all the different places that you mentioned at the beginning of the show. So, and get in touch any time. I always love to hear emails from, from readers and, you know, hear people's reactions. Beautiful. All right. So... Yeah, this is a big topic, and uh, I think you have a lot of us really scratching our heads, asking the question, what does make me happy? What are my expectations? What have I been sold and bought? You know, really taking a look at that is so valuable for us to slow down and really contemplate a lot of what you've offered us. Drilling down a little deeper, you want to get a copy of America the Anxious. It's a great book. How Our Pursuit of Happiness is Creating a Nation of Nervous Wrecks. Oh, yes. What do you want to leave us with? I mean, I guess we talked about so much, but, yeah, I guess the the main point is it's about each other. You know, it's the holiday season. It's the perfect time to connect with the people in your life. It's not always easy, but that's where we should be focusing our attention. Beautiful. Well, we will uh, do our best to do so, and you will hear from us. Because now we're going to be thinking, what do we do now? <laughs> we need a we're hoping that that book that you're writing will have some some clues for us. We'll keep our fingers crossed. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Ruth Whitman. We're so grateful you made time for us. Everybody go to RuthWhitman.com for more information. Get a copy of her book wherever fine books are sold. We're going to head out to the break, and hey, we wish you and your family uh, out there on the East Coast a really happy holidays, Ruth. Thank you, and to you. Absolutely. Sit tight. We're going to go to break. We'll be back for our wrap right after these messages. More when we return. Everybody, I'm relationship expert and radio talk show host Marianne Camarado, and I'm David Raynal. We want to talk to you for a minute about the changing world of dating and relationships, and how self-inquiry can help. Honey, did you know that 44% of the U.S. population is single, and over 50% end in divorce? Yet, we spend an average of one third of our lives trying to find a great relationship or get help with the ones we already have. Yep, that's exactly why we created the first ever of its kind, the Great Relationships Begin Within Self-Inquiry Divination Deck, because we know what it takes to attract and create a healthy, fulfilling, sustainable relationship. And it's really simple. Sit quietly, close your eyes, turn your attention inward, and draw a card. You can go online right now and get a free reading on Marianne Live and try out the cards. And for under $20, what better way to give yourself a gift of your own attention? We wish you every blessing. We'll see you next time. Check out MarianneLive.com. To be a good father is the most important job in a man's life. But it doesn't have to be hard. 
Play catch. Go to a park or visit a zoo. Help your child with their homework. Sit down together for dinner. Ask them how their day was. Things get busy, and sometimes we all fall short. But the smallest moments can have the biggest impact on a child's life. Take time to be a dad today. Learn more at 1-877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Stuff, stuff, stuff. Where can I contain all of my stuff? Hmm, how about this? The Container Store, the original storage and organization store. And I found their link on the HealthyLife.net advertiser page. They have containers for everything, including the kitchen, the bathroom, trash and recycling, traveling, spring cleaning, and dorm rooms. Just about everything you can think of to contain your stuff. The Container Store, right on the HealthyLife.net advertiser page. HealthyLife.net, where positive overcomes negative. Everybody. Don't you just love Ruth Whitman? She was with us today talking about her new book, America the Anxious. I don't feel anxious, and I, I'm kind of happy, actually, after talking about how we're so unhappy. <laughs> Go figure. The irony is there somewhere. <clears throat> In the meantime, we would invite you to the third part of your practice, which happens to be go do something good for somebody else and don't let them know you did it or let them know you did it. Maybe you'll be connected. Maybe it'll create a connection that you need to feel more happy. Go get connected, whatever that looks like for you during these holiday times. Join us next week right here, right now, this time, same place. Susan Anderson's going to be joining us talking about her book, The Abandonment Recovery Workbook. Uh, she guides us through the five stages of healing from abandonment, uh, heartbreak, and loss, which I don't think there's anybody who doesn't relate to that. Wonderful book, awesome guests. We're so excited that you keep coming back, or if you're new that you're here and with us, go to MarianneLive.com for more information. Sign up for our newsletter so you know who's on deck. And uh, for the holidays, don't forget that we have some books and products available for you that make fabulous gifts, including our Divination Deck. We've also got that available online, The Great Relationships Begin Within Divination Deck. App is online on iTunes. Look up uh, True Love Now, and you will find it for 99 cents. It's a, a, a pretty good deal. All right, everybody, I wish you every blessing until next time. Talk to you soon. Take care. <laughs>